Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital and AstraZeneca. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with your host, Dr. Anise Chagpar. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about transfusion oncology with Dr. Edward Snyder. Dr. Snyder is a professor of laboratory medicine at the Yale School of Medicine, where Dr. Chagpar is a professor of surgical oncology. Ed, maybe we can start off by you telling us a little bit about yourself and what it is you do. Well, I'm a professor of laboratory medicine. Um, I've been in the field for almost four decades, uh, and transfusion medicine is um, basically what I do, uh, all aspects of it, uh, supplying the blood, uh, seeing people who have uh, any reactions and providing consultation to oncologists whose patients uh, may need a blood transfusion and who have some difficulties. So so talk a little bit more about that whole specialty. I mean, because for many of us, we don't really think about transfusion medicine or transfusion oncology as, as a specialty in and of itself. So, so tell us a little bit more about what that, um, what's the purview of, of people who specialize in that area? Well, transfusion medicine is um, an area that was originally started off in pathology. And uh, what happened was... Uh, as um, it became, as the field grew, pretty much stimulated by infectious disease concerns, it became much more of a consultative service involving medicine and surgery. So the term blood banking, which was really more of the storing of blood and so forth, which we can talk about in a little bit, uh, but the consultative aspect of the service where we talked to other physicians who had trouble uh, providing blood products for patients or um, because of a variety of, of concerns. Um, and people from a variety of specialties, pathology, my background's in internal medicine and hematology, others are in anesthesiology uh, or surgery, um, go into the field. And um, it's more than just storing blood in a, a refrigerator. It really has to do with supplying the appropriate blood component for a patient uh, in the right amount and at the right time. And most physicians, the sort of a sort of terminology I use or a phrase I use, if you don't know your jewel, no jewels, know your jeweler. And most physicians don't really know much about blood transfusion, so they rely very heavily on the blood bank. So tell us a little bit more about the role of transfusion medicine in oncology. I mean, many of us think about using blood in trauma situations where people have lost a lot of blood. But for cancer patients, things might be a little bit different. So what are the needs of cancer patients when it comes to transfusions? Well, cancer, um, many of the chemotherapeutic regimens that are used to treat cancer um, cause a, um, a, what's called a hyperproliferative state in the bone marrow. That is, the bone marrow is affected by the chemotherapy uh, in ways that are similar to the effect it has on the tumor. So, um, and the goal of, of chemotherapy would be to specifically have a negative impact on the tumor and to leave all healthy tissue alone. But uh, many times the chemotherapy also lowers the bone marrow's ability to make new blood cells, red cells or platelets. Um, and when that happens, the patient becomes anemic and they need a, they need a blood transfusion. Um, or if their platelet count gets very low, they'll need a platelet transfusion. 
the concern is that when you start giving blood products to people, that they can develop an antibody to the component. The same way when you get a vaccination, you develop an antibody to the material that's injected. Some people develop antibodies to um, red blood cells. Uh, red blood cells inside, they have hemoglobin, which carries oxygen, which is important. But the surface of the cell is also studded with a variety of chemicals called antigens, uh, which can, are foreign to some patients. Not everyone has the same blood type. Uh, everyone knows about ABO types, but there are hundreds of other blood types that are on the cell, most of which are not clinically significant, but some are. And when some of those blood types uh, of the transfused blood, even though they're compatible for the um, ABO system and also the RH system, which many people know of, um, many of the other uh, blood antigens uh, with um, names that most people probably haven't heard of, but Duffy, Kell, uh, Kid, Chilano, um, they can develop antibodies to that. And when that happens, it becomes difficult to find uh, blood for that patient, especially if they've had multiple transfusions and they've developed multiple antibodies. So um, the blood bank director in that point uh, consults with the oncologist because the patient has gotten chemotherapy, their blood count has dropped, and they need to get a transfusion. Most of the time, it's not a problem and things go smoothly. But on occasion, when there are problems, they contact the blood bank and we work with the physician to determine how much blood is needed. Also, many surgical patients uh, who have cancer require blood during operative procedures, uh, and uh, we uh, work with the surgeons as well to see how much blood is needed um, and whether they need uh, platelets, for example. Uh, platelets are little fragments of blood cells um, unrelated to red cells, although they all derive from common lineages going way, way back to um, embryonic uh, cell growth. Um, and platelets um, are also needed in, for patients, and the number of platelets may be lower because, again, the chemotherapy uh, or other illnesses, that uh, part of the illness itself may cause the platelets to drop. So if you were to transfuse a platelet, uh, the platelet count may not go up to the level that's wanted, and you wind up having a patient who can't really receive platelet transfusions uh, and get it, get the response that's needed. The count is the platelet count does not elevate as expected. That definitely requires a consultation from the blood bank with the clinician to determine what other options there are, and there are multiple options for finding compatible platelets. So, and then there are other patients who have other illnesses where the plasma levels of some plasma products may be low. So, and they would need uh, a plasma transfusion. Uh, so blood banks get involved in a um, variety of, of issues related to oncology, whether it's surgical or whether it's chemotherapy, um, whether it's illness-based. The, uh, in some cancers, the um, bone marrow is affected by the growth of the tumor, and the tumor actually replaces some of the bone marrow, uh, causing platelet counts to become too low um, for a patient to actually have a good lifestyle. And uh, we consult for those issues as well. So we're, uh, and then in addition, if someone gets a transfusion and they have a reaction of some type, whether it's an allergic reaction or a, a fever, uh, we consult with that as well. So we're pretty busy. It's a very clinically oriented specialty. 
So, so Ed, you make a, a few really good points, and one of which is that some cancer patients will need repetitive uh, transfusions and can build up these antibody responses. So just out of curiosity, how do you get around that? I mean, should patients, I think this is a question that many patients and their families may have, is should we be donating our own blood and banking it, um, knowing that we may, um, with chemotherapy, for example, uh, need a transfusion in the future? Are there particular uh, banks that have rare uh, uh blood types where, you know, people who have developed uh, many antibodies uh, to various antigens can can still find blood. How do you work around those issues? Well, one needs to be creative. So let's get some definitions. Uh, autologous blood, autologous, pronounced autologous, is your own blood being given back to you. And so some of our listeners may say, well, why can't I store my own blood? Well, if your blood count is high enough, you can store your own blood. Um, some place it used to be very popular doing that in the during the AIDS epidemic when people were very concerned. But that when the AIDS um, the virus uh, and how to treat it became uh, part of standard of care for, for AIDS patients, the need to provide it, their own blood uh, really wasn't important anymore. And many uh, blood centers um, stopped that practice. One of the problems with donating your own blood is you have to have a blood count high enough. Otherwise, you become anemic and you'll just have to give you the blood right back. Or um, there were actually blood banks that set, were set up where you could freeze blood, uh, which was fine, as I used to say, unless you're on a vacation in Hawaii and something happens and you need blood and the blood is frozen in uh, New York or in Washington or in New Haven and you can't get to it. Um, it became clear that donating blood for yourself really wasn't going to be very useful and practice is not really done much anymore at all. Uh, very, some places don't even accept, some blood centers don't even accept autologous blood. Um, the second would be a directed donation where a family member uh, would donate a unit of blood specifically for uh, the patient. Uh, that requires, of course, that the blood be compatible, which it is, often is not. In addition, um, it's not just a relative, but some people wanted close uh, personal friends, or as I used to comment, the uh, captain of their bowling team was a close friend, so they wanted the captain of the bowling team to donate blood for them because they believed that because they were their friend, uh, they were biologically safer as a donor, and they didn't have to worry about different diseases. Well, quite frankly, you don't know what the captain of your bowling team is, is does after they leave the bowling alley, so... Um, directed donations as a means of getting blood from someone you're comfortable with um, doesn't isn't practice much anymore either. So that leaves us with the third category, which is what is called allogeneic, A-L-L-O-G-E-N-E-I-C, which is blood from other people. And that's what almost all the blood that we provide is, blood from um, people who are concerned about their fellow uh, human and they donate blood or they donate platelets or they donate red cells or plasma um, to blood centers. And that's the blood that's given. We have ways of matching the blood so that the antigens I talked about are not a problem. We pick out for someone who is type uh, O, we give O blood. If someone is type A, we can give type A blood or type O blood and so forth and so on for the various antigens. And we have a whole system set up in blood banking of uh 
of cells that allow us to determine blood that's compatible, uh, and we do that. So that kind of compatibility testing is sort of the bread and butter of what blood banks do, um, and that's that is taken care of. If it comes to problems where someone, the, the local blood bank can't find anything that's compatible, you have systems like the Red Cross that have 35 or 40 blood centers around the country, and they have what they call rare donor files, where they have people's blood types on record, and uh, they can ask for blood to be sent uh, if it, they have them frozen, or they may have liquid units that aren't frozen. Um, and um, there are ways of, of working with the larger blood providers to uh, work around that issue. Um, there are other blood systems besides the ABO system. Uh, one is the um, called the HLA system. Um, and people may have antibodies to uh, HLA or they may have antibodies to platelets. They're platelet antigens like there are red cell. Um, and again, the Red Cross has uh, donor records uh, and we can test and find people who are compatible for the patient. So there's a whole series of things that we have to do uh, you can't just have a small blood bank working on its own in vacuo. You really need to be part of a large system, certainly a hospital like Yale New Haven with 1,600 beds and many, many patients who are fortunately living longer and longer with malignant conditions that are treatable. But when they're transfused a lot during their, their therapy, when they come back, if they have a relapse, um, then the uh, possibility of having incompatible blood uh, either for red cells or incompatibility with platelets, uh, becomes a real issue. And you need a large um, support structure uh, in blood centers um, to uh, to provide blood so that the patient can be treated and and uh, go into remission again. So there's a lot we have to do. We, we consult on a lot of different issues, uh, and it keeps us pretty busy. Great. Well, we're going to take a short break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more about transfusion oncology with my guest, Dr. Edward Snyder. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers comes from Smilo Cancer Hospital. Fifteen care centers offer access to oncologists committed to providing patients with cancer and blood diseases individualized, innovative care. Find a Smilo Care Center near you at YaleCancerCenter.org. The American Cancer Society estimates that over 200,000 cases of melanoma will be diagnosed in the United States this year, with over 1,000 patients in Connecticut alone. While melanoma accounts for only about 1% of skin cancer cases, it causes the most skin cancer deaths. But when detected early, it is easily treated and highly curable. Clinical trials are currently underway at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers, such as Yale Cancer Center and at Smilo Cancer Hospital, to test innovative new treatments for melanoma. The goal of the Specialized Programs of Research Excellence in Skin Cancer grant is to better understand the biology of skin cancer with a focus on discovering targets that will lead to improved diagnosis and treatment. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Ed Snyder. We're talking about transfusion oncology, and right before the break, Ed, you were talking about the fact that some cancer patients require multiple transfusions, and there's really a benefit to being part of a large system such as the Red Cross, where, you know, if you have developed antibodies to a particular antigen in blood that 
that there still are rare donors who could provide blood for you. But I wonder about other modalities that might actually reduce our need for blood transfusion. So what are your thoughts on things like that? I know that for many of our cancer patients, um, there are uh, drugs, for example, that um, oncologists use either to increase red blood cells or white blood cells. Um, how effective are they? And, and do you find that that reduces uh, the transfusion needs for patients? Well, yes. Um, the saying that we have in transfusion is the safest unit of blood is the one you don't get. And even though we do everything we can to ensure the blood safety, um, there are still a possibility of concerns um, regarding fever or transmission of, um, of illnesses. Uh, as any time you do a um, any kind of a transplant, which really what a a transplant is really what a blood transfusion is, only it's a transplant of, of uh, red blood cells or platelets. Uh, there are a variety of, of reagents which are uh, designed to stimulate red cell production. Um, some of those have shown to cause problems and are not used as often as they were. The erythropoietins were shown to cause a variety of problems. Uh, there are agents that can be used to stimulate um, platelets as well, thrombopoietic um, agents, and there's several of them. El Trombopag is one, there's others. Um, but those are predicated on the fact that your bone marrow can actually make more. If your bone marrow is damaged and you don't have the cells that can respond to those chemicals and actually make more of those kinds of cells, they're not going to be effective. Although there are those chemicals there, uh, reagents that can be used, uh, they may, in some patients, have a limited uh, usefulness. So a transfusion, I think, although people try to minimize the, the times blood transfusions are needed, uh, they still need to be there. Um, one of the things that's important about, that is a concern rather in blood transfusion are the reactions. And there's a variety of types of reactions, um, one of which is uh, a febrile, which is a fever. And that's because when you're giving a foreign uh, protein, which in blood cells have proteins on them, uh, you can get a fever. Uh, there's, that in and of itself is not dangerous. It's uncomfortable, and we like to minimize that from happening. But uh, patients do get can get a fever. Uh, they can also get hives, or they can get allergic reactions. Uh, they can also have some other kinds of complications, all of which uh, the transfusion service is um, aware of, and we try to minimize as much as possible. Uh, one of the areas that's a really big concern, is, as I mentioned earlier, was infectious problems. And that has led to the production of a, a whole new field of transfusion medicine, which is pathogen reduction. Um, generally, in the years ago, 5, 10, 15 years ago, um, if there was a virus that came out like uh, Zika or West Nile, um, you, they, we knew there was a virus that had entered the blood supply. Molecular biology was, was um, used to identify the virus determine uh, where it could be uh, neutralized. Uh, tests were made to identify it. Uh, treatments were developed. Uh, but then all of that cost money. And then the hospitals and the blood centers um, had to spend a lot of money for that. The FDA took a long time to approve the testing and the evaluation of, of, of donors for that uh, particular illness. And while all this was going on, uh, Medicare may or may not have reimbursed for it. So there was a financial, what I call the banking part of blood banking. Uh, and then every time you got through with one virus, another one came along. 
So the field decided to move to a new type of, that is called a reactive approach. That is, you identify a a pathogen of some sort or something that uh, shouldn't be in blood, whether it's a virus or bacteria, uh, and then you try to mitigate it or or to, uh, to get rid of it. Uh, this pathogen reduction technology is not reactive, it's proactive. There are reagents that are put into the blood bag that are designed to inactivate pathogens by attacking the DNA and RNA of those pathogens. Blood cells, um, the human red cells and the platelets do not have DNA or RNA because uh, it's not part of what that particular cell has. They, they had them when they were growing, but when they become mature cells, the DNA and RNA isn't there. So the only thing that has DNA or RNA in a unit of blood is a pathogen. So if you can put chemicals in that affect the DNA or RNA, you're really sparing the good cells and you're just trying to get rid of any pathogen. Well, you can say with all the testing, why should there be a pathogen there? There shouldn't be, but sometimes pathogens are in very low level like bacteria, but, and they can grow. Other times, new viruses come in, like the, the COVID-19 virus doesn't is not transmitted by blood, fortunately. As bad as it is, and it's a horrific virus, but it is not transmissible by blood. The HIV virus for AIDS was. So what the pathogen reduction technology is, is it puts reagents in the blood bag that will inactivate pathogens, and many pathogens share uh, common DNA or RNA types so that uh, the reagents that are put in will be effective against them. And indeed, uh, the pathogen reduction technology that has been uh, studied and um, proven to be successful, uh, it does react uh, with the, uh, does inactivate the COVID-19 virus, although it's not a, a bloodborne problem, but the next one might be. So pathogen reduction has been approved for platelets and for plasma. They are currently doing clinical trials for red cells. And uh, we are doing several of those trials at Yale. There are about 15 other sites around the country doing them. And once we have pathogen reduction approved, then we will have a much safer blood supply because not only will we be testing for known viruses and pathogens and bacteria, but also for unknown ones, which is critical for the safety of the blood supply. These kinds of technologies, molecular diagnostics and so forth, are really the future of transfusion. Uh, In addition, there are other types of uh, approaches, immunotherapy uh, to treat patients instead of using the chemotherapy that I mentioned earlier, which can have um, cytotoxic, which means it's toxic to cells, uh, which can lower your uh, the amount of bone marrow that you have. Other types of therapy, CAR T-cell therapy you may have heard of, or other types, immunotherapy, where you do not depress the bone marrow, and those patients may not need transfusions because their blood counts don't get that become that low. Uh, there are other aspects of transfusion medicine that that those patients require, and uh, we don't have time in this um, discussion to go into all of that. But you can be sure that the blood transfusion service at any hospital is working closely with the oncologists and the surgeons to ensure the, the best and the safest possible blood for the patients. Uh, and our field grows as the field of uh, therapeutics grows. So uh, we have the patient's best interest at heart. Um, we are many uh, sort of tricks in our bag, if you will, of how we can provide safe blood. Uh, pathogen reduction, as again, is a critical advance in the field. Um, and we just have one more cell type, the red cells, that, uh, ex- that the research is being done on now to have that available in a, in a couple of years. Um, 
And the goal, of course, is to be able to treat patients and eventually just do away with the field of transfusion because you won't need to, to give blood. But that's not in the foreseeable future. So the best we can do is provide the safest possible blood, the least amount uh, needed, uh, and the best quality for, for our patients. And so, Ed, you know, you mentioned the term pathogen reduction. It, it's not pathogen elimination, but it still is um, really, really low odds that uh, people get infections with blood these days. Can you remind us about those numbers? What What is the risk of getting HIV or hepatitis uh, from a bag of blood these days? Well, the risk of HIV is in the millions, uh, one in a million, one in many millions. Um, it's for HIV, it's also true for um, other types of, of viruses. Hepatitis uh, is somewhere in the range of about one in two hundred and fifty thousand to one hundred uh, one to I'm sorry, one to two hundred fifty thousand to one to five hundred thousand uh, for bacteria. The, the numbers are higher because bacteria are much uh, different. Uh, organism than viruses are. So um, the risk of getting a septic transfusion reaction is extremely low, but the risk of getting some bacteria growing in blood uh, is somewhere in the range of uh, one to the 30,000 in, in that range, which are several orders of magnitude less than uh, HIV. Um, part of that problem is you can't test for all the different kinds of bacteria that there are. Some of them grow slowly, uh, it depends on where the bacteria came from. There shouldn't be any bacteria in blood, and most of the time they're not. But that's where the pathogen reduction comes in, because pathogen reduction would inactivate any viruses or any bacteria that get through uh, the testing that we have. Um, so it's it's a not something to be concerned about, um, because the 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 testing, the donor history is extremely. Um, inquisitive, if you will. We're asking a lot of questions, many of which took months or not months, but years to get accepted because a lot of the questions relate to sexual practices. And many people were offended by those questions when we started asking it, when we realized that HIV was sexually transmitted, uh, but it was required to, uh, to do it for the safety of the patients who were receiving the blood. But now that we know more about how to treat these diseases, uh, many of those uh, individuals um, who um, are negative for these various tests are um, able to donate blood. And um, it, it's a different field. We have to grow with the field as the, um, as the knowledge uh, grows. And that's what transfusion is. There's a, a practical side for the patient care. There's the collection side. And there's also the research side, which is allowing us to advance the field uh, in so many different ways. And so one one last question uh, is perhaps, you know, we had mentioned the fact that as therapeutics is advances, we may have less and less need for transfusion, but at the moment, um, it still is a, a part of, of clinical care. How do you get around the needs of patients who cannot take, uh, due to religious reasons, for example, blood? Are there other options for them um, outside of a transfusion? That's an excellent question. There are individuals who do not want a blood transfusion for a variety of religious reasons or other reasons. For those individuals, consultation with the patient's physician is required, as well as the family. 
Uh, we have um, a family meeting to discuss options. And if blood transfusion is not one of them, there you mentioned the various um, uh, reagents that are developed to stimulate the production of platelets or red cells in the person. Those uh, chemicals can be given. Um, it may be possible to uh, take some blood from the patient prior to treatment and store it so that if the patient does count does drop, they will have stored their own blood in advance, uh, which in someone who doesn't want to get transfusion um, of someone else's blood may be willing to accept their own blood. Some individuals don't want to accept blood from themselves that's been taken out of their body, separated, stored, and then given back. So it depends on the degree to which the individual will be willing to accept blood. But those can cause some very difficult uh, uh, treatment situations, and that has to be discussed with the patient, the patient's family, the physician, uh, and the blood bank director. Dr. Edward Snyder is a professor of laboratory medicine at the Yale School of Medicine. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We hope you'll join us next week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital and AstraZeneca.